Hello. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. We're really glad that you've joined us today. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. The power of influence is an often denied or minimized feature of humanity. Mostly because we like to think of ourselves as independent individuals. We like to look at ourselves as autonomous. We would like to think that we go our own way, that the decisions that we make, we make based on reason or based on our own independent thinking. We don't like thinking that we are strongly influenced by others. We would like to think that we exist above the fray. But in reality, a lot of the choices we make are conditioned by the influences around us. We are who we are because of the influence of our family, because of the upbringing that we experienced, because of our culture, our society, and many other factors. And we recognize that God and Christ, if we're Christians, should really be our influence and that we've learned of them from the pages of Scripture. But let's consider the power of influence. What can we say about it? What we can do about it? And interestingly, God has given us some understanding about it in the Old Testament. And yes, we do live under a different covenant. And the passage that we're going to consider is very shocking in the eyes of many. But we can still gain wisdom and understanding from the ways of God. And therefore, let us turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. In Deuteronomy 13, Moses is exhorting the people to faithfulness before God before he, they go and enter Canaan, and Moses is taken from them. In Deuteronomy 14, in verse 1, we understand what God is trying to do with Israel. You are the sons of Yahweh your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead, for you are a people holy to Yahweh your God, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of the, all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So, God's trying to establish in Israel a holy nation. God's ideal is that Israel represents a people devoted to him, that its people and its cities will stand firm in serving him. Therefore, Yahweh and his will should come first in all things to the people. And this helps us to understand what God had said previously in chapter 13. As we begin reading in verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, the, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. But you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Now that's just shocking, stunning, offensive maybe even to modern ears. That here you're being told to kill your brother, or your own child, or your wife, or your husband. Anyone who would entice you to go and serve another god. How could we bring ourselves to do such a thing? 
Well, if we continue the passage, let's see what how, how Moses continues here. If you hear in one of your cities, which Yahweh your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction, all who are in it and its cattle, with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square, and burn the city and all its spoil with fire, as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again." None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you, as he swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of Yahweh your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today, and doing what is right in the sight of Yahweh your God. So it doesn't seem to get much better, does it? If the whole town has gone astray into idolatry, then the whole city is to be destroyed, its cattle, because of the events of what's gone on, even if it's only the work of a few that has been tolerated in it. So what is going on here? How can we even countenance the idea that the loving God that we serve would have such a thing happen? Well, in many respects, God is indicating here how strongly he feels about the danger of the power of influence. So what are we supposed to gain from this? Well, it's very important to recognize that we are not to kill anyone. That is not what has been enjoined upon us in the New Testament. We are to love our enemies. We are to do good to those who would do evil to us. And if we find circumstances where we must separate from brethren, we separate from them. We do not uh, cause them bodily harm in any way. But even in the New Covenant, we see uh, similar warnings about the danger of negative influences. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, preeminently, where Paul says, Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. The same premise is in effect in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the, the church was tolerating a man who had taken his father's wife, and they were to mourn, they were to hand such one over to Satan, they were not to have association with him, because, as he warned, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Same warning is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. As well, because of doctrinal issues, Romans 16, they're supposed to mark those who teach doctrines contrary to what they have been taught. And 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter provides great warnings about those who are false teachers and the fact that they should be avoided. In Matthew chapter 10, 34-37, Jesus talks about how he came not to bring peace to the earth, but a sword, that in fact members of each other's house, members of a household would be one's opponents on account of the gospel. And so, we can see that the same reason for concern is there. Because friends and family influence people for good or for evil. Not a few have fallen away because of the influence of friends or loved ones. And as Christians, we need to be wary in case there is leaven that may arise in the body of Christ. And we can see these concerns illustrated in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Israel is a chosen people of God. They are to be a holy people, a set-apart people, different from the nations. They were to serve only the true God and without an image. 
And they were supposed to do that while living in the midst of polytheists and idol worshippers. And all the influences around them would guide them to commit sin against God. And this is why we see such severe warnings in Deuteronomy 13. Because God knows people better than people know themselves. That temptations to stray from God uh, needed to be, inter- uh, to, to be uh, avoided, to be set aside, to, to, to be kept so that people would not succumb to them. We see the warnings in James chapter 1, 14 through 16 of what happens when we're tempted. And so the more intimate the relationship, the greater likelihood there is of stumbling. And that's why, in such a severe and stark way, there was not even to be pity upon one's wife or children. They would be more likely to lead an Israelite astray than anyone else. And that's the same with the city. If a few in the city start doing it, others see it and start doing it, and the whole city is taken over, then the whole area is taken over, and it goes from there. And as established in Deuteronomy 13, in verse 11, that this is to cause the people to fear in many respects. That if Israel hears about the severity of the consequences of accepting and serving idols, they're going to be chastened. They're not going to engage in that kind of folly. And when strong stands are taken against form of negative influence, there is uh, opportunities when people sit up and take notice. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, we have an example of severe discipline in which Ananias and Sapphira, uh, having uh, conspired to cheat the the people of God and the Holy Spirit, uh, are both condemned to death by God through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, in verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And that's part of the reason why there's this expectation that there will be disassociation for those who flagrantly commit sin without repentance and who and to avoid those who continue in false teaching. The reason we need to create such barriers is not because we don't love them, but because their influence cannot spread. If their influence spreads, then it is pernicious and it causes great difficulties. We don't want anyone else getting caught up in wickedness or error. And interestingly, we look at such a shocking and stark command there in Deuteronomy 13. And to think that a large difficulty in Israel is that Israel did not actually do what God commanded. They entered the land, and they allowed the people of the land to influence them. And in fact, in Judges chapter 6, we are introduced to uh, Gideon. And in the days of Gideon... We're told that God spoke with Gideon with, through an angel, and the angel was told told Gideon to go and to uh, cut down the Asherah and the altar of Baal that was uh, there in his town. And so he does this in the middle of the night, in verse 27 of Judges chapter 6, and then in verse 28 we're told that when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. When they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Now, Joash will successfully argue that uh, Baal has a problem with it. Baal can take it out on Gideon, and nothing happens to him. In fact, Gideon will get the name uh, Jerubal, because uh, let Baal contend against him, because he tore down his altar. But think there about the complete reversal. 
In Deuteronomy 13, Israel is to be a faithful people who, when confronted with idolatry in their midst, are to cut down those people and to have nothing more to do with such things. But here, what's happened is everybody has taken on idolatry, and the one person who dares to cut down the foreign uh, idols is the one who is being drawn out and expected to be killed. So we have a complete reversal of the situation. And, uh, indeed, we do well to consider... Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 6, the Apostle Paul has established for us that all of these things happen to them um, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And that's exactly what happened with them. It's very easy to think, you know, well, you know, this is about idolatry. It's about bowing down to statues. It's something that we don't really have anymore, and so we're free from this uh, concern about idolatry. Uh, the people of Israel were led away to serve other gods whom they did not know, even at the instigation of their own people. And even if we don't have statues to which we bow down today, that can be true with the idols among us. Money, celebrity, sex, individualism, America for that matter, naturalism, comfort, many other things can become idols. And we are tempted often to take our eyes off Jesus and to seek these things in idolatrous ways. Maybe even tempted to go after these things by those whom we love and love the most. There are times where we might have to keep in mind Matthew 10, 37, 38 when it comes to that negative influence and to find ways to mitigate that negative influence. If God wanted Israel to destroy anyone who became a negative influence toward them in that way, uh, whereas we are not to destroy people, and that's very important to keep in mind, do we think that God thinks that we should keep those negative influences close to us? Or do we have appropriate boundaries and separation involved, as we get the impression from 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18? So there's a lot of danger there in negative influences. But the negative influence is not the only story in Scripture, because the power of influence can go two ways. There's also the opportunity for positive influences. In Acts chapter 2, we learn about the early church. We learn that many... They were baptized, they had all things in common, they uh, assembled daily and were encouraging each other, and because of that, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12-28, Paul speaks of the people of God as a church, as a body, and they work to strengthen those who are uh, weak, to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, we are to devote ourselves to stirring up one another, loving good works, to uh, assemble with one another. Uh, and all the more as the day draws near. First John 1 and verse 7, a beautiful and touching passage. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And so it's not just about avoiding negative influences or mitigating negative influences. We need to have and cultivate positive influences. And the true positive influences are those brethren that we have in our lives whom the Lord has uh, given us in our lives and who have put the Lord first in their lives and who abhor idols and who cling to what is good. Just because somebody goes to church and seems spiritually mind doesn't necessarily make it so. Just like not all Israelites were devoted to Yahweh. And so we need to find positive influences, be constantly refreshed by them, and to refresh them in turn. 
And so we need to remember God's ideal for Israel, that Israel be a holy nation where service to God was expected and any aberration was punished. And that's the way it is in spiritual Israel. It's a body holy and without blemish. The, we are cleansed by God in Christ, absolutely. But we need to disassociate from those unrepentant members in sin or false te- teachers who uh, no longer can appeal to the cleansing of Jesus because of their behavior. Uh, so that that leaven does not spread and overcome the church, as is the warning in 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 5, 9. And so we need to encourage each other to stand strong against the temptations of the world, that we can represent the true Israel in the midst of the nations. And that's why we just can't have this idea of maverick Christians or lone rangers, Christians without the church. Uh, The power of influence of the world around them is just too great, and we'll swallow them up. Israelites were not to live as independent automatons. They were to live together. And that is why we do well to surround ourselves with positive influence that encourage us to fully serve God and to be that influence among others. Now, none of us are islands. We are influenced by those around us, both consciously and unconsciously. And we're going to be in a lot of environments where there are going to be people who would influence us away from the gospel. We need to be in environments where we can try to influence people toward the gospel. We need to be the ones influencing more than we're being influenced. We need to be aware of that dynamic. We need to be concerned about those in our midst, those who are intimate with us. The closer they are to us, the, the amount of power we allow them to have in our lives and how they use that power and direct us in the ways that they would have us to go. Uh, We need to be influenced towards serving God. We need to influence others towards serving God. We must avoid those influences that would depart from him to have us serve gods that we do not know. And that is why we do well, to surround ourselves with positive influences, to guard against negative ones, and to glorify God in Christ. We hope that you've been benefited by our consideration of the power of influence today. If you have been, we encourage you to uh, share this message in social media and let others know about it. If you'd like to uh, consider other conversations we've had about other subjects, if you'd like to take about, have a Bible study or correspondence course, maybe a prayer request or if there's any way that we can encourage you. Further, please contact us through our website at the Venice Church of Christ at VenisTurchofChrist.org. You can also find us on social media. And if you'd like to contact me directly, please contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.